0: In mean, Acts chapter 19 verses 8 through 20, what Hannah read earlier. And just to give you a little bit of context on this, last week, uh, we saw the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey where Paul travels to Ephesus, where he had left uh, very quickly at the tail end of his second missionary journey. He comes to Ephesus and as soon as he arrives in Ephesus, he rebaptizes, a bunch of uh, disciples of John the Baptist uh, who had not heard about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and uh, some other elements of the Christian faith. So as he arrives in Ephesus, he baptizes these disciples of John the Baptist. Next week, we're going to see what happens at the tail end as he's on his way out of Ephesus. Uh, There's going to be a big uh, conflict that he's going to encounter As he heads out of Ephesus at the end of that three-year period. But this week, Luke is going to give us a selective sample of what Paul was doing for those in and around three years that he was in Ephesus. This is the longest he stayed anywhere in his missionary journeys. And when you add it all up, it's about three years. So that's what we're going to look at today. And again, this is a selective sample, but basically in a nutshell, what he's doing in Ephesus is he's witnessing for Christ. That's what he's doing, and we're going to look at how that works its way out. Um, when we began preaching through the Book of Acts, some of you all probably noticed this, but we uh, send out Wayside weekly emails every week. And when we began preaching through Acts, I actually added—I usually put a scripture verse at the top of those emails—and I added Acts one eight, which is where Jesus is talking to his his apostles, and he says, "You shall be my witnesses." Uh, and so I highlighted, "You shall be my witnesses," because that witnessing for Christ is passed down through the ages of the church. So that we can bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. That's what the Book of Acts is all about. And uh, one of our friends from the neighborhood who gets our emails, she read that and she uh, asked me a question about. It. She wanted to know what a witness was in that context because she, based on her upbringing and her uh, understanding of the church, she had never really thought of Christians as witnesses. And so she asked me. She says, "What does that mean that Christians are supposed to be witnesses?" And in the context of Acts, and this is in the New Testament, that that Greek word for witness is where we get our term martyr from. Uh, It's a witness who witnesses to Christ even unto death in persecution. So a martyr is a witness for Christ who ends up giving their life for Christ as his witness. And throughout the book of Acts, it, it technically means one who affirms or attests something as true And it's especially, with regard to Christ's followers, it's especially witnesses who bear a divine message. So someone who attests or affirms the truth of something and who specifically bears a divine message. That's the the gospel. That's the message about the personal work of Jesus Christ. And originally, the 12 apostles, there were other people that encountered Jesus in his uh, life, death, and resurrection. Um, But the apostles, the 12, we call them, were the original witnesses in the book of Acts, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, that doesn't, give us, that doesn't get us off the hook with the application to each and every one of us as followers of Christ. Each Christian has a responsibility to affirm that basic apostolic witness, that basic truth that the apostles taught and proclaimed at the very beginning of the church, at the very beginning of Acts, and to attest to the truth of Christ with our lives. Not just... Not just in what we say, but in our entire lives. Our words, yes, but also our attitudes and our actions. We are witnesses. And folks, if we fail to think of ourselves as witnesses, then our witness will be ineffective. I mean, that that makes sense, right? If we don't think we're witnesses, then why would we have an effective witness in our words, our attitudes, and our actions? And I think all too often, and I include myself in this, But all too often, we don't live by the word of the Lord. We live by cultural standards or influences or peer pressure or our own feelings or whatever else. But all too often, we don't live by the word of the Lord. We don't live in his triumph over sin and Satan and death because he did triumph over sin and Satan and death. But we don't live in that victory, in that triumph, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't treasure Jesus Christ as our absolute highest prize and priority in this life. And for the rest of eternity, I might add. So people might look at our lives sometimes and wonder whether the gospel is actually true. They might look at our lives in this sense and and wonder, is that really true, what they're telling me or what their doctrines say about this person of Jesus and his claims? So our big idea today is that Christ is revealed by Christians. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Yes, Scripture, the the special revelation of God, inscripturated in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, the canon of Scripture does speak to the person and work of Jesus Christ. But a lot of people don't interact with the Bible. A lot of people don't know the Hebrew Scriptures and what they promised. A lot of people aren't going to read the Gospel of John. But they are going to know you and they are going to know me, and they are going to look at our lives, our witness, to see if they're interested in this Jesus we say we follow and believe. So Christ is revealed by Christians, so here's the application. Let's give the world a witness. Let's give the world a witness. Every local church, including Wayside, should be like, think of it like this, a display case for the words, the works, and the worth of Jesus Christ. It's like people should come and look in and peek in our church family and go, oh, okay, I see the word of the Lord and the work of the Lord that he accomplished, living its, pushing its way out into our lives, our interactions, our relationships. And I see the worth of this Jesus Christ that they follow. But we should be like a display case. And this is going to require all of us and each of us to consider how the reality of the Lord is being revealed in our lives, and today we're specifically going to talk about how the reality of the Lord is revealed in our sacrifices, what we're willing to give up, in our successes, that is spiritual successes, and I'll define that in a second, and also in our speech, how we speak, what we speak about. So first of all, the word of the Lord is revealed in our speech. This gets pretty basic, okay? The word of the Lord, the the teaching about Jesus Christ, what he claimed about himself, what he claimed about his personal work, is revealed to people through our talking, our speaking, our preaching, our proclaiming, etc. So as Christians, we're supposed to talk about Jesus and help others understand who he is and what he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. Again, how else are they going to know? I mean, they might just buy into some, I said this last week or the week before, but one of my passions is to make sure if somebody's going to reject Jesus, which I can't control if they do or don't, I can't make anyone believe in Jesus, neither can you, but if they're going to reject him, I, want, I don't want them to reject a straw man that culture's created, that he was just some nice guy that allowed for himself to be simply a moral teacher or some great prophet. Like I want people to know who Jesus claimed to be so that if they reject him, they're rejecting the true Jesus, not some fake straw man Jesus that they grew up thinking about okay and and we should all have that passion but we need to talk about who he is what he accomplished what he claimed about himself and so we see this look at verses 8 through 10 at the beginning of our passage it says and he that is Paul entered the synagogue which he typically did And continued speaking out boldly for three months. So the first three months he's in Ephesus, he's speaking out boldly in the synagogue, having discussions and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is another way of speaking of how Jesus is the Messiah that was anticipated by the Hebrew scriptures, that he was the king. He is the king and that he uh, is, is ushering in his kingdom. All right. So speaking of the kingdom of God, speaking of the gospel, the person work of Christ. Okay. And it says, but when some that some of the the Jews at the synagogue there in Ephesus were becoming hardened and disobedient. I mean, hard hearted and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people. He withdrew from them and took the disciples. So he he had at least some success. So he took the disciples away with him and had discussions daily in the school of Tyrannus. He sounds like a Sith Lord. Um, it's just a funny name, I don't know, Tyrannus. Uh, And this took place for two years. So three months in the synagogue, in the school of Tyrannus for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So as usual, Paul's preaching in the synagogue to his fellow Jews. He desperately wants to see his Jewish brothers and sisters understand that Jesus is who they're looking for understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures the law and the prophets and some of them became followers of Jesus and others rejected Jesus wholeheartedly and became hard-hearted in their attitude towards the gospel so Paul then takes the new disciples who are probably under a lot of social peer pressure at this point right Because they decide to follow Jesus. So he takes these new disciples to this local lecture hall to share the gospel with anyone and everyone in Ephesus. And after two whole years of doing this, Luke tells us that virtually everyone in the entire region, what we know of as Asia Minor, had heard about Jesus, had heard something about the gospel. So in Ephesus, the word of the Lord was revealed as Paul spent his days speaking and teaching about Jesus to anyone and everyone who would listen to him. And I think about Austin. In Austin, Christians have been witnessing here in Austin from the very beginning, from the founding of Austin in 1839. So coming up on almost 200 years. Christians have been witnessing for Christ here in this city. And by God's grace, John alluded to this in the announcements, by God's grace, Wayside has been witnessing in this city for six years this month, which I think is fantastic. So I'm excited to celebrate that with you guys. But the fact that we began our public ministry in a school, my old elementary school down the street, and the fact that we're continuing to minister, to teach and to proclaim and to to preach and to teach kids' classes in a public elementary school here at Laurel Mountain where my kids go now. It reminds me of Paul taking the disciples and going to a school, a lecture hall, the school that was owned or at least the teacher was Taranis. And it reminds me of our passage today. And like Paul in our passage, our speech matters. It matters what we talk about and how we talk about it and with whom we talk. And that goes for everything we say up front on Sunday. Certainly that goes with our preaching and our proclamation, and the the words we sing, and the lyrics of songs. But guys, our speech matters beyond that as well. In everything we teach our kids in our kids' classes, in every discussion we have with our Wayside students groups, in every um, thing we post online, our speech matters. In every conversation each individual Waysider has with friends, family, coworkers, strangers, neighbors, our speech matters. And the word of the Lord is revealed in our speech, and we should expect fruit from our faithful witness to the truth of the gospel. There's no reason not to think that God won't bring about fruit in the sense of people hearing the gospel and responding to it in faith. That's how we all became Christians, right? Somebody spoke about the gospel and Jesus, I assume. (laughs) Or maybe, like Paul, you... Jesus appeared to you on the road and blinded you? I don't know. But most of the time, it's, it's people are talking about the gospel. They're talking about Jesus and what he claimed about himself. And that's how we come to faith. So Wayside is here to share and tell and teach and preach so that what? Now, I know we're not the only church in greater Austin. And we're partnering with other gospel-centered churches all around Austin. But our mission statement is clear that we're teaching and preaching and telling and sharing so that all who live both in great hills around where we meet on Sunday and all throughout greater Austin might hear the word of the Lord. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. So who might need to hear the word of the Lord from your lips? We can't just always abstract this out to the corporateness of Wayside, right? Yes, I want people to hear about Jesus from our church corporately, But it's also about the individuals, right? Because God's, he's, uh, it's like salt, right? He's, he's, He's kind of shaking you out into different nooks and crannies of our culture, of our community. And so think about it in terms of application. Who might need to hear the word of the Lord, the truth about Jesus Christ, the gospel from you? You know, you work somewhere that we don't. You live somewhere that we don't. Who are those people? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a member of your extended family. They're your uncle. They're not my uncle. They don't care what I have to say, probably. But maybe you're going to see them this Thanksgiving. Maybe they need to hear that from you. Maybe someone else's son or daughter through a kids class or a student group. Not all of us have kids of our own. But if we're in this church family, we've got sons and daughters in Christ that need to hear, not just from their parents, but also from other adults, other people that are followers of Jesus. So maybe it's teaching a kid's class. Maybe it's leading a student's group. Maybe it's a coworker, a neighbor, as I mentioned. So our first point of today's sermon is that the word of the Lord is revealed in our speech. Again, super basic. Next, the work of the Lord is revealed in our success, right? So if you're driving a Lamborghini, then obviously Jesus loves you and you know, God's blessing is on you and No, you guys know I can't stand the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's not what this is about. A successful Christian life has nothing to do with how much money you make. It has nothing to do with the type of car you drive. Okay? Let's get that clear. I'm referring by success. I'm referring to a life that is lived faithfully for the glory of God in the victory of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's what makes our lives successful in a spiritual sense. So in verses 11 through 16, we see how faith makes all the difference between spiritual success and failure in this life on this earth. So first, let's look at 11 and 12. It says, God was performing. Don't miss who the source of the power was. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. So this sounds a lot like the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of Peter earlier in Acts, but we see these uh, extraordinary miracles. These weren't happening everywhere, but Ephesus was such a syncretistic place with so much superstition and different spiritualities that God was performing these extraordinary miracles such that like they took his sweatband off I think that's what the handkerchief is. It's like a sweatband, basically, that they wore you know, around their head and the apron like around their waist. Kind of gross, a little bit, right? But they would take these, and they would take them, and, and just touching the people who were sick. Remember the hem of his garment? The woman with the, the hemorrhage that uh, just, if I can just touch his clothes, remember? And so we're seeing very similar things happening here in Ephesus. And so we see the spiritual success of a faithful witness. Paul was not perfect But God was perfectly working through him. Paul was simply a faithful witness whose miraculous ministry is revealing the reality of the work accomplished by Jesus through his crucifixion and resurrection. Which conquered sin and death and Satan once for all. Guys, do you know why they did all these miraculous, extraordinary miracles? Do you remember Jesus when he he told the guy that your sins are forgiven? And they're like, who's this guy to forgive sins? And he said, which one's easier? to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and walk. And they're like, well, we ain't never seen that before. And he's like, so that you will know that I have the authority to forgive sins, get up and walk. right? So there's a connection between these physical healings and casting out of demons to show the spiritual reality of what Jesus Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection. Does that make sense? So everyone is getting to see physically The effects of the victory won by Jesus Christ over sin and death and Satan. All right. Paul was preaching the good news that we can live in this victory of Jesus because of his redemptive work, which provides us with forgiveness and eternal life. Guys, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, he has overcome sin in your life. He is he is. The old is gone. The new has come. Right. You are new creation in Christ Jesus. All these things are true. Death has been conquered by eternal life that we have in Christ. It doesn't mean we're not going to physically die. Most of us will. But we're going to be resurrected to new life. We're going to be glorified for all eternity. Never to face sickness. Never to face death again. None of that. All right? These are true. And this is what he's showing through Paul's ministry. That he's provided us with that forgiveness in that reconciled relationship with God. So God was performing these extraordinary miracles through Paul in order to confirm the truth of Paul's message. This is so key for the apostolic witness. Who are these guys? They're coming up with this teaching and this proclamation. Who are they? Well, they're, they're Jesus' apostles. Well, how do we know that? Well, because they're doing exactly what Jesus did. They're doing the things that only God can do. That's exactly how Jesus confirmed his message in his ministry is he came doing the things the Hebrew Scriptures said the Messiah was going to do that could only be done by the power of God. And then he sends out his apostles, and what do they do? They do the same thing he did. They do the things that prove that he was God's messenger, that, he was, that they were teaching the teaching of Christ, that they were bearing the divine message as witnesses for Christ. So now let's look at what happens when we faithlessly invoke the name of Jesus. I call this sprinkling Jesus. Sprinkling the name of Jesus, all right? Look at verses 13 to 16. It says, but also some of the Jewish exorcists, these are like the ghostbusters of first century Ephesus, okay? They went from place to place, attempting to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had the evil spirits. You realize people were being possessed by demons, okay? And, and here were these guys, these sort of you know, ghostbusters, these uh, Jewish exorcists, And uh, and they're you know, they have this this kind of um, it's like a ministry. It's kind of like, you know, in the first century phone book, it's like, you know, triple A exorcisms or whatever. Right. So they're going around doing their thing. And oh, look, the name of Jesus. That's pretty special. We're going to we're going to pull that into what we're doing see if that works a little magic for us. okay so they attempted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had the evil spirit, saying, I order you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Did you catch that? Jesus, whom Paul preaches. All right. And now there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, doing this. That was on their business card. Sons of a Jewish chief priest. All right. But the evil spirit, get this. He responds and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know of Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit pounced on them seven men And subdued all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's a memorable event. And this became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear. This is a reverential fear for Jesus. Uh, Fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So these men they didn't believe in Jesus. They had never trusted him. They were not followers of him, but they wanted to kind of sprinkle his name over their efforts like a magical spell or incantation. They thought if I just say his name, it'll work for me, right? And my business will go gangbusters. So the evil spirit acknowledges Jesus. He acknowledges his authentic representative, the apostle Paul. But it recognized that these men were not truly followers of Christ. And so, therefore, they lacked the power and the authority of Christ to command evil spirits. They were operating in and of their own power, trying to sprinkle Jesus on what they were doing. So, on the other hand, Paul did believe in the redemptive work of the Lord, which is why he had a successful ministry marked by the power of God. Just because you believe in the Lord doesn't mean you're going to do all the same things Paul did in terms of the miraculous ministry he had in Ephesus. But that's that's the power and authority of Jesus being shown through his official, authentic representatives, his witness, Paul. So through faith, the work of the Lord is revealed in spiritual success. And none of us are perfect in our obedience to Christ. I'll be the first one to admit that. Man, I screw up all the time. Now, that doesn't give me a pass, but it means that God is perfectly working in a bunch of imperfect people like us, all right? So, none of us are perfect in our obedience, but each of us has access to the power of Christ through faith. Just by virtue of being a follower of Jesus, by virtue of being indwelled by His Holy Spirit, you are a branch connected to the vine, the life of the vine. You have access to it through the Holy Spirit. And that's important for us to understand We're not going to get any more of the Holy Spirit than we already have. Now, we can quench Him and grieve Him, and we need to be filled by Him. That is, offer complete control of our lives to Him. But you're not going to get any more of the Spirit by doing some some bonus thing down the road, okay? You have all the Holy Spirit, right? He's in you if you follow Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in Him. But at times we will fall into temptation and falter in our faith. If, I was, if we were like an amen church, I'd be like, can I get a witness? And you'd say amen right then, okay? Maybe let's try it. Can I get a witness? Amen. amen, right? So at times we do fall into temptation. We do falter in our faith. And kids, you need to know that too. Don't start questioning your faith because you falter in your faith. Just know that it's not you who's perfect. It's Jesus who's perfect. That's where your perfection comes from. And it's the perfect work of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. And that's so clutch to understand that, okay? But we will also experience victory in Christ as our faith grows and deepens. You guys are going to see more and more victory. You're going to see more and more triumph as you mature in your faith, as we mature in our faith. When I became a Christian, I immediately experienced victory over certain sin struggles. I won't go into details here that had plagued my life since third grade. For like 15 years, I had struggles that I most of the time, didn't even want to overcome, but certainly couldn't have overcome in my own effort. But when I became a Christian at 23, God gave me victory over those sins, right? And I have not struggled with those since then. However, I have struggled with a lot since then. Uh, some of my things that I still struggle with, even coming up on 20 years after my, my initial conversion, are people-pleasing, the idol of what people think about me, Uh, control issues that lead to anxiety, because I try and control, but I can't, so I'm anxious, right? These are things that God's still working on me, working in me uh, to bring victory, right? And I praise God for that, but even though I've been a follower of Christ, like, I still have these issues, and by God's grace, I have matured in these areas. I have matured some in my Idolatry of what people think about me and my people pleasing tendencies, right? And my control issues. So there has been growth and maturity there. Um, But you know what I pray for? I pray that God would give me the strength and the faith to trust Him so that I can lay down those idols once and for all, so that every moment of the rest of my life can be lived out, not in worshiping these false idols, but in giving my life to Christ as a living sacrifice. And that's what all of us should want. And that's what he's doing in our lives. Because I want every moment to be lived in light of what Christ has already accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. It's already done. We just have to live in it by faith. So as we experience such spiritual successes in our lives, the work of the Lord will become evident to others. So listen, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, where have you seen spiritual success over sin and temptation? I bet you've seen some somewhere at some point, right? Where have you seen his power and his authority on display in your life and in your relationships? Folks, every success, I don't care how small you think it is or how uh, uh, inconsistent you think you are, right? Every success, every time God's power and authority is on display in our life over sin and temptation... Those are moments to be celebrated individually, as families, as a church family. We need to celebrate those things. Every success, because they point to the reality of the work of Christ, which allows us, what did Paul say? To live as more than conquerors in Christ. We are more than conquerors in Christ. I love that. And so where have you felt conquered by sinner Satan? And all of us have. All of us go, I can't believe I'm doing that again, or I can't believe I said that like that again, or I can't, right? We keep circling back. It's like the dog returning to its vomit. I love that imagery from the Old Testament, right? The dog coming back to its vomit, like licking it up. That's disgusting. But it's such good imagery to show us what it's like for us to return over and over again to our sin and, and to temptation. So where have you... Where have you felt conquered by sin or Satan as your faith in Jesus has failed or faltered? Even our spiritual defeats can magnify the name of the Lord if we realize something. If we realize that we were defeated because we weren't trusting in Jesus. If we realize that success is only going to come through faith in him then praise God. We don't fail and let ourselves be vulnerable and conquered so that he can be glorified. May it never be. Paul would say it like that. But even in our defeats, so long as that shows us that it's not about us, it's not about our power, it's not about our effort, it's not about our ability to discipline ourselves and do all these things, it's about the power of God working in and through us through his Holy Spirit. And that gives glory to God. And we get that through repentance. So when we realize that we are weak and powerless on our own, whether we're trying to fight addictions, whether we're trying to control angry outbursts, whether we're trying to hold a marriage together, or even just trying to hold ourselves together at times, as we learn to turn to Christ and trust in his redemptive work on our behalf, folks, listen to me. We will live successful lives in the eyes of God and it will draw the eyes of man to Jesus. So our first two points were that the word of the Lord will be revealed in our speech and that the work of the Lord, what he's accomplished through his death and resurrection, will be revealed in our spiritual success by the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, the worth of the Lord is revealed in our sacrifice in other words, the value of the Lord will be evidenced by what you and I are willing to give up in order to follow Him. How else do you value something? What's the value of your house in the marketplace? It's what someone's willing to pay for it. What's the value of Jesus as other people see it in and through our lives? It's what we're willing to give up for Him. That's like the nitty-gritty. That's, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's not a hypothetical, Jesus is so valuable to me, but I'm not willing to give up anything for Him. Right. Uh, That's not true value in the eyes of the world. In verses 18 through 20, we see what it takes to live this kind of sacrificial life for Christ. And I'll start out by saying that sacrifice requires humility. Folks, sacrifice requires a humble life. I don't know how else to say it than that. Look at verse 18. It says, also, many of those who had believed there in Ephesus, they kept coming it's like they're coming before the church. They're coming before uh, publicly to confess and disclose their practices. And a lot of times, if they were into magic, a lot of the, the, the magical incantations, they derive their power, supposedly, from being secret. So if you divulged your magic spells, these words, these magical incantations, they basically became impotent. They became powerless. And so a lot of these people are probably going and confessing their, their waywardness their wayward lives and they're, they're rendering these incantations impotent by sharing them with people and saying, yeah, this is all my stuff, alright? So, these Ephesians had already humbly received the gospel. That's so key here. Guys, did they clean up their act and confess everything and render all these incantations impotent by speaking them publicly and all this stuff and then they became believers? No. We fall into that trap, right? Oh, if I'm going to be, you know, legit, i got to kind of clean up my act so that Jesus will accept me. i got to make sure I'm holy so I can go before a holy God and be accepted by him. All right, that's not the gospel. That's the opposite of the gospel. That's works-based salvation. We're not into that. The gospel says, in your filth and uncleanness, Jesus Christ came after you and wrapped his arms around you and saved you and I. By God's grace through faith, we are saved. All right. And then after these people have believed, they start feeling this conviction as they grew in their faith and their humility. They're convicted about different aspects of their life that did not honor our Lord. And so Luke tells us that they were publicly bringing these things to light and renouncing them. So the Holy Spirit was showing them the worth of the Lord. And he was also giving them the strength by faith. And the ability to make any necessary sacrifices to follow Jesus. And that's what he's doing in our life, too. Now, you guys aren't sorcerers, uh, I, I assume. <laughs> um, that doesn't mean you play Magic the Gathering, by the way, or you really like Harry Potter. These are like straight-up wizards and stuff, all right? But you got something going on. You got something that the Holy Spirit's convicting you about. And that's what he does. He shows us the things that, that uh, we need to to bring, to make public, so to speak, and bring before the Lord. So the Holy Spirit's showing them the worth of the Lord, and then he's giving them the strength and ability to make these sacrifices. And folks, this is my second point. Sacrifice will sometimes require, listen to me now, a hefty loss. If you're thinking like giving your life to Christ and laying your life as a living sacrifice on the altar of God, Romans 12 style, And you think that's just going to be like, oh, i got to wear slacks on Sunday morning, and like that's the extent of the sacrifice I'm going to make? Please hear me. You are not giving a part of your life. You are not giving a part of your time. You are not giving 10% of your money or something like that. You are giving your entire life, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength to Jesus. All of it. Now, we do give you know, certain money, first fruits and things like that to God to acknowledge that it all belongs to him ultimately and that we trust him. But what I'm telling you is that this is not a fractional thing and it will require at some level, some extent, a hefty loss. And we don't all make the same sacrifices. So look at verses 19 and 20. It says, And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books, books were a rarity back then, They brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they added up the prices of the books and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing and prevailing mightily. Now listen, depending on which type, one of two types of silver pieces, if these were uh, one type of silver piece, which they, I believe they were, then those books of magic may have been worth as much as the total wages earned by a typical laborer in first century Ephesus for 137 years of work with not a single day off. 50,000 silver pieces. Folks, that's no small sacrifice. But those new believers knew that they needed to leave behind their old ways and they showed the world the worth of their Savior and Lord Jesus Christ by giving up their most valuable possessions. The worth of the Lord is revealed by our sacrifices. So when I was a kid, some of you know this, I'm a nerd, dirt, dork, geek. There's all sorts of different versions. I, I don't know what the cool word is anymore. Some people are like, no, I'm a geek. I'm not a dork. Or I'm a nerd. I'm not a geek, right? I was all of those things, all right? So I collected comic books. That was one of my nerdy things I did. And I had all these comic books my brother and I collected. By the way, well, I'll, I'll, that's a tangential thing. We'll talk about that some other time. But the comic books I, I, I studied, I was a dark kid. Like I was, especially as I started getting into middle school and high school, I was real dark. Uh, and so my most valuable comic books that I collected, and they were valuable because they were signed by the authors and illustrators. They were special edition, foil you know, edition, all this stuff. They were nice and shiny. They were worth a lot of money, but they were dark. I mean, downright satanic, um, but they were worth money. So I kept them in my comic box, and they went with me into my new life in Christ. They went with me up to Fort Worth, and I became a Christian. They sat in the top of a closet, and they were there, and I didn't think anything of them. Okay, But after I became a Christian, again, in my early 20s, I was 23 when I trusted Christ, um, the Holy Spirit, as He does, began, began convicting me about different things in my life that were either, one, detrimental to my faith, i.e. stumbling blocks to my faith, or they were just dishonoring to the Lord. My possession of these things was dishonoring to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So eventually, He convicted me about those comic books. And I remember, it was after, I won't get into the details, I had this demonic dream, and I woke up, and I felt like this presence over me in my bedroom, above my bed, up in the ceiling. Really weird. But it was like that experience frightened me. I was just repeating Psalm 23 out loud, like because I was frightened to death. And I remember God saying, why would you allow a foothold for demonic activity in your life by hanging on to this stuff? Like, why would you keep these things that revere Satan, not Jesus, that are dishonoring to your Lord and Savior? And I was like, I don't. I love Jesus. I don't love these things. I don't care how much they're worth. And I I took the box and I went and just dumped it into the trash bin outside and just shut the lid. And it got picked up the next day and I was done with it. And I don't know how many hundreds of dollars or whatever I threw away, but it needed to happen. Because with God's help, we can take the most valuable things in our lives, and we can toss them in the trash because we know how much Jesus is worth. And that simple act of obedience helped me realize how much I valued my newfound relationship with Christ. I hadn't had to make a whole lot of sacrifices up to that point. And it's like now I can look back 20 years later and go, that's how much Jesus meant to me. That's how much he was worth and how much I was willing to sacrifice for him by God's grace. So I'm asking you guys, and this is like probably the most important application of the day. What valuable thing to you might you need to sacrifice in obedience to Christ? We've all got it. It's, we're not all the rich young ruler. We don't all have to sell everything we own, give it to the poor, and follow Jesus. He might call some of you to do that. I know people that he's called to do that. But again, that's because that guy was like, oh, I'm doing everything right. And he's like, eh, you got this idol of wealth. I'll just expose it. Right? And the guy went away really sad because he had lots of money. He didn't want to give it away. Remember that? But what is it in your life? What is that thing that's so valued by you that he might very well call you to give up? Not because he's a cosmic killjoy, not because he wants to make you sad, you can never have any fun, right? That's t- we tend to think of God like that. It's for your good. It's for our good. It's so that we don't stumble over these things. It's so we don't gain the whole world and forfeit our souls, he loves us and he wants us to see in light of Jesus, in light of eternity. He doesn't want us, you know, doing the dog vomit thing or, or putting other things that really at the end of the day have no eternal value above that which does, which is Jesus and our relationships with others and sharing him. OK, so what is it? Cable TV, streaming service. You need to pull a plug on that. Social media, uh, sports obsession. UT football started yesterday. Is it a sports obsession? I don't know. A certain standard of living or a certain salary figure that you just have to make? Is it an oppressive job that dominates your life and you just can't give it up, but it's crushing you and it's keeping you from growing in your faith and your relationships with Christ and others? Maybe it's actual money. Maybe it's actual valuable items like I had dumped out the comics, right? Or maybe it's just cold-hard cash. You just, he's going to call you to give it away. I don't know but whatever it is, it's worth the sacrifice. I do know that. And our sacrifice will reveal the worth of the Lord, not just to us, but to everyone around us too. So I'm going to close with the words of one of my absolute favorite hymns. It was written by a woman in 1922, and it's fantastic. You'll immediately know it, but it it echoes the points of today's passage, how our speech in our spiritual success and the victory of Jesus, in our sacrifices, how those reveal the word and the work and the worth of Jesus Christ. So here it is. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. She writes this. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Through death into life everlasting, he passed, and we follow him there. O'er us, sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him, and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. And then the refrain. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Guys, my prayer for this church family, my prayer for Wayside, is that we will turn our eyes upon Jesus and become faithful witnesses in our speech in our spiritual successes that we'll experience more and more of by faith and our sacrifices so that every person in Great Hills and and to the end of Greater Austin and even beyond that would hear the truth of Christ from our lips, would see the triumph of Jesus Christ in our lives and would gain the treasure of Christ through faith in Him. That's my prayer. Next week, we're going we're gonna to see, as Paul gets ready to leave Ephesus, we're going to see how transformed lives lead to a transformed society in this city, which leads to what? Pushback. Pushback from people who were profiting from the way things were before Jesus came on the scene. We're going to look at that next week.